Welcome to the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This week on the show, we are talking about The Bear and the Maiden Fair, Season 3, Episode 7, written by George R. R. Martin, his third contribution to the series, and directed by Michelle McLaren. This week, joining us from AV Club and BoobTube Dude and way too many podcasts, it's going to be Ryan McGee. So we'll be right back after this. Hello and welcome to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, TV editor for Sound On Sight, and I'm joined as ever by... Oh, whoa, this is new. Uh, wow. I changed it. I know. I'm crazy. My name's Ricky, and I haven't read the books. And you are what? Our, our beneficent overlord? Sure, whatever. General editor of Sound On Sight. Um, that's an important thing to know. As we say at the beginning of every podcast, I have read the books, at least... Most of them, I'm still working on five. Ricky has not. Uh, joining us this week is uh, Ryan McGee, who is, of course, from the, the AV Club and Boob 2 Dude and Talking TV with Ryan Ryan and just and not just TV McGee. And you just, I don't know how you have time, sir. It's a very good question. Um, I, I have a TARDIS. And but nice. maybe that's for maybe that's for another podcast. We're not talking about Doctor <laughs> Who right now. So <laughs> what is your relationship with the books? My relationship with the books is that they make an excellent doorstop, but I have not read them. Okay. I, I I tried to read the first book before the first series came out. Uh, my podcast partner for one of the many other podcasts, uh, Maureen Ryan from Huffington Post, uh, was writing. Has been writing about Game of Thrones as long as I've known her, and she was she's followed the development very closely. I, I tried to read the first book, and I got about halfway, and I think I lost momentum, and I couldn't remember where I was, and I said, "I'm going to treat the TV series." as a TV series, and I haven't tried to read anything since. I think that's the approach a lot of people have. It's a daunting, just looking you know, at a bookstore, you know, well, that's that's just adorable that, sorry, that, that somebody would be looking at a bookstore. But if you were, it's a very thick book, and it's a very thick series of books. So uh, as ever on this podcast, we will not spoil anything from the books. No worries about that. But let's uh, let's get into this episode. Every, anytime George R. R. Martin writes an episode for Game of Thrones, I think especially after season two's Blackwater, we have certain expectations going into it. I had certainly had expectations going into this episode and I was surprised because I expected more action. I expected more of you know, any one or two of the ridiculous number of big things that happen around this time period in the books. And of those big things, we got one and I'm sure we'll talk about it. And it was awesome. At least I thought, but I really enjoyed this episode and uh, Ricky, I know you did not. I saw that on, on Facebook uh, but before we get into to that, Ryan, what did you think? I think it. Well, I I, I, I kind of made my peace with Game of Thrones before the start of the season, or actually after I saw the first four episodes of this season, I got a chance to watch them uh, before the first one aired. And what I said at the time was, you know, if you like Game of Thrones, those episodes were going to do nothing to dissuade you. If you didn't like it. Those episodes were equally not going to dissuade you. Um, Game of Thrones kind of does what Game of Thrones does at this point as a TV series. And it's that incremental approach that always keeps it slightly at arm's length from me. So consequently, I tend to like a whole bunch of scenes every week. And I tend to not like a bunch of scenes every week. And those scenes tend to not have anything to do with each other. But as an episode... I've I've liked actually very few over the course of the season. I found much more good than bad, uh, quite a lot in, in many parts along the ways. Um, last night was fine. It was okay. It didn't really. Again, it rises on the strengths and based on the storylines that they're presenting on screen at the moment. Anytime I see someone like Bran or Theon, I go to a happy place in my head that doesn't involve those characters. But if it involves Brienne, if it involves Daenerys, if it involves Marjorie, I tend to be very, very invested in what's going on. So that almost never changes no matter who's directing or who's writing or what part of the story that we're in. And because I don't know what this big twist that everyone's been talking about since even, even before season three started, I don't know when it's going to be deployed. I don't know how it's going to be deployed. So 
I kind of have no expectations about when it's going to be deployed. And so the fact that we had sort of a table setting episode last night was neither here nor there other than I wasn't particularly engaged with about half of it, which tends to be my batting average for the show. Interesting. Uh, Well, Ricky, I know you have thoughts. Hey, well, I'm glad I'm not going to be the only one. It's sort of on a negative side because I really did not like this episode too much. I mean, it wasn't awful. It just wasn't really great, in my opinion. Um, And I'm really surprised. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I went in with such great expectations with Kate last week. You pretty much hinted out that it was going to be an amazing episode. I overhyped. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right. And then I looked at who wrote the episode. And more importantly, I looked at who directed the episode, which is Michelle McLaren, who's one of my favorite directors of the Breaking Bad series, right? Yep. So I got so excited. It was very busy, like every episode of Game of Thrones, but it felt less focused. I don't know. It didn't quite seem to gel. And I really think that the majority of these scenes was basically just rehashing what we already know and rehashing things from previous episodes of season three. Uh, I actually think this is the best season so far, but I think this is the weakest episode of the entire series thus far. So it ended on a nice note. Like, I like the way it delivered suspense and a bit of action with the bear fight sequence. That was awesome. And I love Jamie and Brienne. And I guess it was an episode that focused on quieter character moments and focused on many of the romantic pairings. You know, you think of John and Grit or Tyrion and Sansa. And, you know, you got Rob and his wife. But I just felt a lot of characters were running around aimlessly. And despite the crowd-pleasing final sequence, I, I just did not really like this episode. And for a lot of reasons that Ryan mentioned, I mean, we're going to talk about each scene as, as we continue the podcast, but the Theon Greyjoy sequence pointless the bram sequence pointless uh i was even happy with the danny sequence this week but you loved it so tell us why we're wrong well i won't say that you're wrong and i think i i really this why i've given up trying to view like i said before i've given up trying to view game of thrones through a what if i had never read the book lens because it yeah. doesn't work and i you know if people are able to do that if other critics are able to do that then i applaud them but I just, I don't think that I can. And so to pretend that I can feels dishonest. This episode, I was surprised because there is so much people just talking about their feelings, right? Or or just people being happy. We don't get very much of that in Game of Thrones in general. Um, and I thought that, you know, each of these scenes, I like them as, you know, by themselves. But this is something, these are, I just kept waiting for... Because, of course, in the title, you know, if you've read the book, that this is going to be the bear. You know, there's going to be Brienne in the bear put, and it's going to be awesome. And I was expecting another thing that happens around here, this time period, that's going to be coming up. I was expecting that to happen in this episode as well, because it was a Martin episode. So I was actually actually very surprised to be spending all of this time with with uh, Rob getting some good news for once and uh, with just, it was lovely to see Tyrion and, and Bronn together. It was, it was nice to see anybody cow Joffrey, even if Joffrey's right for once, you know, there these different um, character beats that I actually really connected to and, and enjoyed, but it was, it's, yeah, it's just tricky because all I can really say is that I understand why these scenes, why this episode is what it is. And I think if they were trying to do book three in like a 16 episode one season, this episode mostly wouldn't wouldn't exist. But because they have those 20, they're taking time to really let us sit with these characters a little bit more. And so in that way, it feels very different from what Game of Thrones tends to be because we don't get scenes like this usually. Um so I don't know. That's why I, I enjoyed it because I, I like these these different things, and because so many of them were completely creations of of the show, um, and so therefore they were there were surprises for me, and that's something that you don't always get if you're a book reader. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the interesting things I find about our podcast is I haven't read the book, and you've read the book, and. I find it interesting to see how we have such different perspectives because of that, right? Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you a question. Okay, let's go to the brand scenes, right? Every week. Him and Jojen basically hang out. They don't really do anything. They just sit around. They talk. Jojen has a dream or a vision. And he's like, I saw so-and-so in my vision, but I can't tell you about it. 
okay, thanks a lot. So each and every week, you basically have a vision, but you're not even like telling him about it, nor us, the audience. So every time I watch those scenes featuring Bran, it doesn't offer us, the viewers who haven't read the book, anything new, anything that we don't already know. So I'm like, okay, why don't they do this? Why don't they actually film and direct one of his visions or dreams? And they can make it cryptic. They don't necessarily have to you know, let the viewers know what's going to happen in the future. If he has a vision of something that's going to happen, they can make it cryptic and they can make it really cool and creepy because the people that have already read the book, they know it's going to happen, right? But instead, we just get Jojen and Bran sitting down and they talk and he's not willing to tell him anything. So I'm like, it's kind of pointless. And I love those characters. And so that's why it frustrates me because I really like the idea of a warg and how he has these visions. And I just feel it's a wasted opportunity. So that's a prime example of why I'm a little disappointed watching this episode. Well, but we we don't Jojen doesn't have a vision this week. He's talking to Bran about Bran's visions. And I do agree when we've gotten when we've seen those visions from Bran, they've been really effective and I've really enjoyed them. I want to see that I would be happy seeing that three eyed raven at least every other episode just because it's creepy and awesome. Yeah. But I I really like that scene because we got some stuff from Osha. That was completely new. I thought uh, Natalia Tano was fantastic in her, her her little speech and uh, and really affecting. And I also loved its placement. That was one of the few scenes that actually felt very connected to me with the overall narrative because it tied so distinctly in with with Jon Snow and Ygritte with that I was his and he was mine and everything was great. And then it all fell apart in Life is Shit and yay, it's not going to be all happy times for Jon Snow, probably, and he greet. Um, so I, I actually felt that that was, that was more connected. I know, Ryan, you said that you go to your happy place and Bran's on screen. Was that, uh, you're, I assume you're more with Ricky than the, for this. Well, I don't mind. I would be happy with a Game of Thrones episode that was just a bunch of two-person talking scenes if it, it advanced either the story or our understanding of the characters. I'm not in this show for the action. I don't care about the action. Um, I remember last year when Blackwater came out and everyone's like, this is the most amazing spectacle ever on television. And mostly I wanted to say, have you seen any episode of Spartacus ever? Spartacus. Because <laughs> honestly, it just maybe I'm spoiled by that particular show. Um, Game of Thrones, because it's aiming for more realism, is by nature going to be more expensive. You know, you can't just CGI in the Unsullied. And there's something great about having it all in camera, even if there's stuff like um, the dragons or the bear or the just the little VFXs that are, that are thrown in there that are more subtle. Um, but it, it, I don't. At this point, I'm thinking Jojen's just pulling our leg as much as Bran's leg at this point. I don't know how much to trust him because we don't. We only can take his word for it, and we have no other verification. So in that case, the the the, the discussions around him and why uh, Osha doesn't trust them, I'm on kind of on her side right now because I need that extra bit of information. And yes, the whole point about we don't know what's going on with Theon is in fact the point. Well, I'm <laughs> I'm past that particular point. And it, 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 it almost, you almost can't win because if you read the books, apparently you know what's going on and therefore you're just biding time. If you don't know what's going on in those scenes, you're wasting time. These are episodes that before the season started, they said, you know what? We're basically adding in an extra episode of Game of Thrones. We're going to add in five or six minutes per episode, and therefore you're kind of getting more material. What we're getting is Theon getting his dick cut off. And for what? I don't know at this point. Because it, there's a difference between having something being opaque and something being impenetrable. And if it's the latter, I'm generally going to tune out. It's very much like mid-period lost. Mm -hmm. Where some other was on screen, or oh, or, or someone would use a vague pronoun. Oh, he he is coming. What? I after a while, just who? You know, I just wanted someone on screen to ask who. Be my proxy. Use my proper son. nouns, please. Exactly like that. So, or or even when you get something like the happiness moment you're talking about between Rob and Talisa, the whole time I'm like, my spidey sense was going off. I was like. Well Something about this is not right, and is it me, or is it the fact that she's just so damn naked for so long, and I want her to put something on because I'm an old man, apparently, at this point, who just is, you know, I want her to get off my damn lawn or something. I don't know. Well, I think the important question to ask is, do we care? Because we haven't read the book, and I trust the writers that it is leading to something, that there will be a payoff, but do we care? Because we never really liked Theon Greyjoy to begin with. So the fact that he's getting tortured each and every single episode, I don't know. I, I'm not emotionally moved by it. I'm, I don't 
care. I'm not frightened. I'm not terrified. I'm just like, okay, it's torture porn. Once again, this episode, at least it was well executed. Like I like the fact that they go, uh, like it's, it's handled off screen. Like there is the blur and then he, I guess he gets castrated off screen. I'm assuming he gets castrated, right? Otherwise, that scene is totally pointless. <laughs> if, they, if they didn't castrate the guy, that scene is totally pointless. But I've been extremely frustrated with every single scene with Theon Greyjoy so far this season. Yeah, it's definitely a continuing problem. And like I said last week, I do think it comes down to the the the, the showrunners misjudged how much we care about him. I think they were build. They've been trying to. I think they're trying to build over the course of each episode. And that's why they do are, they're coming back to him usually very briefly, just one scene, um, only if you know, maybe a couple minutes each episode, this was a longer one because they wanted to, to like ramp up his suffering each week. Cause I felt like, if, I think if they just like didn't show him for three or four weeks and then came back, we wouldn't have that same connection. I don't, and I still think it is not necessarily working that well, but so they added an extra four minutes so we can see two girls nude once again on screen. And I have no problem with nudity, but I'm just like, this show is so crammed with so many characters and storylines that every single minute is valuable. So why are we watching two girls seduce him when we know he's not going to have sex with these two girls? I, I mean, I, I hope there's a good payoff at the end of the day. Yeah. So. The only thing that makes sense to me is just, he, it's showing a different kind of, of torture because it's a psychological it's like this giving you something you know making you feel safe for however a span of time then ripping that away to try to break down his psyche maybe in a different it's a different approach at least it's not just him up on the the cross again doing the same having the same you know just getting poked and prodded more but but you know and it, it did go on quite a while i was i was sitting there going what wait why is this is this just because george r, r. martin wanted to have there be more sex position or something in this episode but um so i mean i agree with your guys's complaints and i definitely i don't even necessarily remember exactly where this the end story is going because yeah. it's been a while since i read this book or actually it's it's later that we find out about this stuff but um but no i, I can't really all I can think is it's, you know, at least it's changing up. It's a different kind of torture. And and I just keep keying back into what um, what the person who's torturing him had said was it last week or the week before about now he knows that the the Stark boys are alive and what a hunt that will be. And so I just keep tying him in what's happening to Theon into this threat against Bran and Rickon, who people will be for, forgiven for for not knowing his name at this point. Um, but I don't know. It's certainly, it's not worked well. Let's talk, unless you guys have more on Theon, let's talk about something that did work well, at least for me, that, that awesome bear pit sequence. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. You know what? I actually watched the worst show ever right before Game of Thrones. It's called A Thousand Ways to Die. And <laughs> it's basically sort of, a re- it's not a reality show, but they reenact the worst and strangest ways people have died across the world. And in that specific episode, there was a scene in which a couple gets attacked by a bear. And it was so god-awful because it looked like one of those straight-to-video horror movies directed by the guy who directed The Room. So incredibly bad. So I watched Game of Thrones right afterwards, which only made the bear sequence even more amazing. I love the bear sequence, but I don't, I didn't necessarily like it because I'm like Ryan. I'm not in for watching Game of Thrones for the action and huge like set pieces. It's more about the politics and the dialogue and the acting. But... I liked it so much because I'm I just love Brienne and Jamie at this point. And like Jamie is a character who we hated like in the first season and now we absolutely love them. They are the two characters I love following the most on TV right now. And that's I think possibly one of the main reasons why I think season 3 is so far more better than at least season 2. I mean, I'll, I'll wait till the season ends before I compare it to season 1, but I think it's far better than season 2 so far. And I love the direction of this whole entire episode. I might not be big on the writing but i love the way it's directed and i love the visuals i thought it looked beautiful yeah i'd agree with that and one of the the, the problems is that when you get something as good as brienne or J- and jamie uh and last year i think i think I, I i watched it mostly for the Tyrion scenes is that when you get something that good uh tywin's another example that all the tywin aria stuff in season two was gold 
just that combination for some reason really worked. That alchemy was perfect. When you get it working, and then you have to go for like 18 seconds of, of, of gendery and a little bit of Arya running away from a cave, you get mad because you want <laughs> more. I get mad. I, I want them to know, just stay over there for a bit. Um, what many people loved about the Blackwater stuff last year is that there are many characters, one location. It felt really concentrated. That's the last Martin script, of course. Um, that's what I want more out of the show. Whereas, you know, in trying to service everything, every, the overall effect for me is that everything gets dulled, even the really good stuff. So the bear stuff came out of the out of the way, but I only cared about the bear fight in as much as Jamie jumped in to save her. Right. You know, you can get to the practical effects, and boy, it's amazing that they staged it. And I was reading before this podcast how they actually affected that scene, how they filmed it. And it's pretty incredible how they actually se- seamlessly put all that stuff together. Uh, I don't want to ruin the movie magic for anybody who's not watching, but there was no bear in Northern Ireland. Let's just put it that way. Um as much as you know, as is J- is Jamie Lannister was Ron Burgundy for a moment there. That was that was awesome mm-hmm. because I I'm invested in that storyline. I love. I hope it never goes romantic. I don't know the stories. I love the idea of a platonic love, and I do think it's love, but I do think it's platonic. There's a respect. There's an admiration. Um, you want it's not like Liz Lemon and Jack Donaghy on Thirty Rock, but in terms of an asexual love, that's probably the best one I can come up with off the top of my head. Um, totally in on that, everything they're doing, even if I cannot understand for the life of me who has them captured, who's trying to torture Brienne, any of that sort of stuff. It just doesn't bother me. It rolls off me at this point. The fact that I know so little about what's going on, I joke with Mo on my podcast, I'm going to create a second screen app for Game of Thrones that you can watch along with the show called Holy Crap, Who's This Guy Now? (laughs) Yeah, who is Locke? Who is Locke? I, I mean, thought, is he John? Lo- is he John Locke from Lost? Because Jamie is now Sawyer, so why not? Right. <laughs> well, I, I think that this episode. Well, first of all, Locke is the guy who cut off uh, Jamie's hand, yeah, yeah, know, and was the one who was going to rape Brienne. So that's who he is. That's all we need to know for who he is, really. But I think yes, the bear sequence is just an amazing feat of just you know it looks fantastic. It's spectacle and just execution is is phenomenal. But the reason that that scene works outside of just being cool is because of the beautiful scene we get between the two of them earlier. And just the, the dignity of Brienne in that scene, as she calls him Sir Jamie for the first time, that's what makes the whole thing work at the end of the episode. And and also he, he tells her that he's still going to keep to his promise. So you see the mutual respect between those two characters and, I don't know. It's like out of all of the scenes that we've seen so far between those two characters, and I mean, there was that great sequence that ended, ended uh, what was it, episode five, uh, when they were in the hot tub. Yeah, but yeah. I think that sequence just kind of sealed the deal. It was like, okay, these two are in it forever. Like they are forever best friends, and uh, this is awesome, and they cannot separate because if they separate these two characters, the show will suffer. <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to happen, and I, I hope to God it doesn't. Any other thoughts on Brienne and Jamie, or shall we, shall we move on to, for example, Tywin being awesome and actually putting Joffrey in his place and being wrong to do so? Is Tywin never not awesome? Isn't that a better question? Isn't it implied at this point that Tywin is awesome? <laughs> well, it's not just Tywin; it's Charles Dance. <laughs> yes, yeah, awesome. yeah. I I would watch him just drink coffee for two hours. That guy's amazing. But you know what I like about that scene? You know, Joffrey might be right, but they don't know he's right. But in that scene, I think he still gets the upper hand, despite the fact that the king is sitting on the throne. And that's why I like the way he slowly walks up the stairs, because uh, when he reaches the top of the stairs, Joffrey is now looking up at him. It's that whole psychology. You know, when you look down at someone, they sort of respect you more. So I just love that scene. We were saying at my house, there was an an implied bitch in just the action of him walking up the stairs, which uh, we because we enjoy the implied bitch in my house. Um, But uh, yeah, what I love about that sequence and I was watching it and it's the same thing that you were saying, Ricky. But what I was struck by was, of course, Charles Dance is amazing, but I love the set design. It was so wonderfully constructed, the, the hall. I mean, of course, George R. R. Martin conceived it in the book, but the execution of that, and we've seen that hall be glowing with light and so inviting, and they made it the most depressing, gloomy building that actually has windows that I've seen on television in quite a while. Tell me about the Targaryen girl in the East. 
and her dragons. Where did you hear about this? Is it true? Apparently so. Don't you think we ought to do something about it? When I was Hand of the King under your father's predecessor, the skulls of all the Targaryen dragons were kept in this room. And the skull of the last of them was right here. It was the size of an apple. And the biggest was the size of a carriage. Yes, and the creature to whom it belonged died 300 years ago. Curiosities on the far side of the world are no threat to us. But how do we know these dragons are just curiosities and not the beasts that brought the whole world to heel? Because we have been told as much by the many experts who serve the realm by counseling the king on matters about which he knows nothing. But I haven't been counseled. You are being counseled at this very moment. Yeah, what McLaren does so great in that, I mean, you talk about the staging of it and the framing that she does, but the camera really low and Tywin when he enters in with Joffrey at the end of the hall, the slow walk, which also sort of gets back to the conversation that Joffrey has about where the small council has been moved to, uh, issues of waiting, the issues of the size of the, of the castle, of King's Landing in general. It all fits, and it has nothing to do with anything that's really particularly showy. Everyone wants to talk about the bear stuff or, like, the impressive visuals of uh, the ship still in Blackwater Bay, that's an instance where a director takes good material and makes it fantastic. And that that's, was one of my favorite parts of it. That sequence reminded me of the final episode of season two of Twin Peaks. There's one scene in Twin Peaks, the final episode, where David Lynch just holds his camera and this old man slowly walks across the room. I swear to God, it takes five minutes. And he's just a, such a patient filmmaker, but he likes to tease his audience. But it's such a fantastic scene, and that's what I like about this director, too. She's a very patient filmmaker, and she likes to hold her camera. And it's like Ryan said, she knows how to set up her shots probably better than any director so far of season three. And that's saying a lot, because they have a lot of big names attached to the series. They, they make that giant throne room oppressive, almost oppressively big. The people inside it, Tywin, of course, has this huge personality, but even Joffrey feels small dwarfed by by this room and what it means and what they don't know is coming for them and maybe that's a way to transition into Daenerys because I know you said Ryan you weren't a big fan of of her scenes this week but I actually oh I, no 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 season two I didn't like her I, I love oh, her okay. in season three yeah oh yeah well season two they didn't feel they needed to give her any material no um, <laughs> where are my dragons that was season two <laughs> moving on Moving on. But uh, I, I know we just talked about how uh, there's all this other whiz-bangery and maybe the most impressive stuff is the simpler things. Let's talk about the whiz-bangery a little bit. Those dragons look awesome. That's impressive. I'm, I'm stunned that they are executing them this well. I'm actually really upset because I thought the bear was real. But, Ryan, you kind of hinted at the fact that no, they no. didn't actually use a real bear. No, they did use a real bear. The bear just wasn't on set. Oh, well, I thought the bear was on set. So <laughs> yeah. No, it's not, a, it's not a CGI bear. Bart the bear is real. He's not like, he's not some Simone thing going on right now. Yeah. What about the dragons? Were they on, were, were they on set? The dragons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the CGI is great. I think better this year than previous years. Um, I, do, do they have a bigger budget because the show's becoming more popular? Because they also extended each episode. So I'm assuming they increased the budget, right? I, it's got to be a conversation with HBO. HBO knows that this is uh, some uh, <laughs> this is their uh, their golden goose right now yeah. uh, for this time of the year at least um, until True Blood comes back. But it gets huge ratings and is hugely popular. It's going to sell very well in DVD. So I imagine they're they're willing to give them some you know extra money, not a huge amount, but some. The entire Christopher Guest show costs as much as one of those dragon shots. I swear to God, it's it's so. True. But no, they're doing they're giving those dragons personality, and they're showing subtly how they're growing, and also how they react to her. And it's the hardest thing to sort of react to what's not there. The emissary from that city that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, Yunkai. I mean, I think it helps to have Amelia Clark there because she can give good bitch face on her own, and you can be you can react to that. But just the the nature of those dragons at any point you know the the tension of the fact that they could go off the rails at any moment really really strong i really really dig it although i wish we had more direwolves this year as well as dragons yeah what happened to the direwolves they were my favorite part of season one i love dogs there's dogs in the wild like where's ghost um he, well he's not with john i know where is he 
He is. He's in the Sarah Michelle, Sarah McLaughlin commercial right now. He was with like staying on the outskirts, like sort of following the the Night's Watch. Yeah, but now Sam's busy babysitting. So where's Ghost? We don't know. And well, I imagine that will be an emotional thing when we find out where Ghost is or if he returns. And I would also be very surprised if we didn't get a little more dire wolf action pretty soon here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all I will say about that. I agree, though. I've been I was thinking about this, that this episode would have been nice to see Rob's wolf in that scene with uh, with Talisa, you know, even just like outside the tent and then you go in or something. I don't know. But uh, I, I did actually think of you specifically, Ricky, when I was watching that, that scene with the dragons, because when the emissary from Yunkai leaves, uh, the dragon flies over and his, it just felt like something I've seen so many pets do. We're like, hey, mom, you okay? That guy was a jerk. Was, <laughs> yeah, Come totally over, did. lick your face. You're, you're good, right? You know, it was so such a wonderful bit of character and felt so protective and, it was wonderful. I love that they're putting that thought into it. But the dragons made the scene great, but not necessarily the characters. Like, what is up with Jorah? Like, he's useless in season three. He's been reduced to the annoying voice of caution. Like, he's the voice of reason or the voice of doom, like, that you would see in horror movies. And so I don't like necessarily what they're doing with his character. And also, Danny, you want to talk about rehashing things we already know. We already know that she has this big issue with slaves. And so what I don't understand is she's going to march to every city and she's going to try to supposedly negotiate with these people when everybody already knows that she's not even willing to meet them halfway. So it's like she's the worst negotiator ever. Like no one's going to make a deal with her because she's just going to send her dragons out to eat you. So I'm kind of confused as to how she's going to make her way to King's Landing (laughs) without having to take out everybody in sight. Like... Well, uh, we we see a distinct choice in, from her this week with that. She mm-hmm. has the troops. They will give her the ships. She can go to King's Landing right now, but she doesn't. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's just George R. R. Martin trolling us. Well, <laughs> you know, it shows development for her. She's yeah. always wanted the throne. She's always, the Iron Throne has been what she's told is her birthright from the time she was an infant. But she's never, she doesn't even remember I'm I'm not criticizing the writing of this scene. I'm just questioning her and how, how, um, how her decisions and how she's going to eventually conquer. I guess I'm being Jorah right now. I'm trying to, I'm questioning her choices. I'm like, are you sure you're making the right choice here? Ships, gold, allies, no. (laughs) Okay, all right, fine. And maybe it's me just being sort of silly here. And obviously, it's not like I'm pro slavery at all here. But where did where did all this stuff come from pre Unsullied? Does this have to do with her, you know, her forced marriage there? Or has this been established? This is more established in the books than in the show. I mean, she yeah, she 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 hated the ways. That, is, is, it, is it all supposed to be about the treatment of the Unsullied that has made this change? No, I, I, I don't think so. At least I just I connected very much to her being sold. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. having no agency in her life at all. She worked out, you know, she she had her son in stars and he wasn't a horrible person who would torture her every night for fun. But that could have happened. And her brother didn't care. And and so I think when he that I don't know if you guys remember in season one, there was that uh, he gets right before he gets crowned. There's that scene with the two of them where he said, I want to sell you a thousand times. I would whore you out a thousand times if I could to get my army. And I, I think, you know, if she was uncertain about her feelings about powerlessness and the, um, the those unable to fight for themselves, that kind of underlined it for her. OK, but that's she, fair enough. I want it was it was it was subtle, but I was hoping I was right on that. OK. But you know what's strange about season three is we're on episode seven, right? What is it building up to? That's what I'm so confused. I'm like, what is it building up to? Four weddings. Four weddings and a funeral, I guess. Like, seriously. (laughs) I can't figure out what it's building up to. I mean, I think there's four weddings. Let's count. There's Sansa and Tyrion. There's, um, there's, God, there's Joffrey and Marjorie. There's uh, Cersei and, and Loras. And there's Rob's uncle and I forget her name. One of the Freys. Yeah, thank you. The Frey girl. Four mm-hmm. weddings. So is is basically season three leading up to a wedding episode? All I will say is that HBO put out an amazing promo for season three about a week before it, uh, it finished. And the thing that they put, the audio clip that they put over the, like, the premiere date was from Princess Bride. Marriage is what brings us together. Nice. <laughs> 
It was amazing, and that is all I will say. Very cool. So we're going to have, have to like say yes to the Westeros dress? Is that going to be an episode coming up? <laughs> oh, dear Lord. You know, but I would watch that, though, because I feel like Marjorie would make it worthwhile. It, oh, yeah, she'd make any dress work. She's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I like what I, I like that we get so much comedy with her this week, and also with Greet. What's what's a swoon? What's why would that? I, I loved her. Actually, this week I I actually came on the Jon Snow bandwagon. I really like Jon Snow this week. Great, because I, I I did not like Greet this week at all. Like once again, what are they doing with her character this week? She basically tells Jon, she's like, you know nothing, Jon Snow, and yeah. she her line like several times and i was just like what is i used to like this character and now i don't know if i like her anymore like if she wait, wait, wait. how if, do you not like her in this episode she says I, that I'm once being a, i'm being a little harsh maybe maybe not like her but i'm worried about the future of her character and how they will write her in the next few episodes or in the next season because I don't really know if I like the direction they're headed with her. But, like, if this lady existed in our world today, she would be on the 6 o'clock news because she chopped off her husband's penis because he was, like, sleeping with a girl or something. Like, I, I that woman is intense, okay? And John better watch out because she, she told them, like, several times. She's like, I own you. No, she doesn't say she owns him. She says, you are mine and I am yours. Well... Yeah, and I, am, and I am the walrus. Goo goo chew. <laughs> and then, yeah, she's pretty much saying that like, you belong to me. It's like, yeah, ah. but she's also saying she belongs to him. Yeah, I don't know. She scares me, Kate. I'm sorry. She scares she, me. She's intense. I, I, I loved her whole sequence about. Oh no, it's a spider. Are you kidding me? You, you couldn't possibly less because we're moving from her land and her people and what she's comfortable with and what she's known her entire life to now we're in Jon Snow's and and I like you know that that you know nothing. Jon Snow feels. Increasing, first of all, it's sort of like her catchphrase, but I don't find it as annoying as a catchphrase because um, I feel like they only use it maybe once per episode. But um, but but we're moving into increasingly a, a realm where where she doesn't have mm -hmm. more information or knowledge of him, so that feels more like a, a a bit of a posture from her because she knows that. And so when she's like, "Holy crap, is it, is that a castling?" It's like that's a windmill. Yeah, but yes. I, sweetie. <laughs> I guess I'm not really interested in the romance so much as I'm interested in what Mance Raider's plan is. Like, what exactly is his plan? And I like the fact that in this episode, Jon Snow pretty much tells her that they, they will die. They're not mm -hmm. going to win the battle. They will fail. But mm -hmm. at the same time, does, is that sort of like him hinting to her that he's not necessarily 100% on their side. She <laughs> like, said that last week, though. She said, I know that you didn't really change sides, but now you're with me, and I know that you are loyal, and I believe you'll be loyal to me, even if you're not loyal to Mance. But she says, if we die, we die. Like, it's like, it's not... I die or they die, we all die. So basically, you're going to die. Like, that's what she's telling the guy. She's like, Oh, I thought that was we for the two of them, not we for her whole the whole group. I don't know. I have to watch the episode again. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> An odd bit of uh, coming together there for the two of us. Um, you, you said earlier that um, we just get a very brief moment from Arya, but I do want to mention it because her, once again, she gets such an amazing line. I love that her God is death. And I think again, the execution, like just the delivery of that and the, 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 the staging of it and the lighting and the performance. It was wonderful. So I wanted to give a shout out to that. Do you guys have any other uh, moments that you want to mention or elements of the episode that you enjoyed? Hmm. I, I did like Arya Stark as a sudden uh, fan of the cure. Very emo of her to like death all of a sudden. I, want, <laughs> I hope she gets, she gets some black eyeliner, but I guess uh, now that she's been captured again, uh, mm. maybe that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, li I like the fact that Melisandre doesn't have all the answers now. That's a nice development for me because, oh man, I did not like her character in season two and really did not like her until I think it was last week when we found out that she was surprised at what the Lord of Light could actually do, or that she didn't have all the answers, everything she's been doing with Stannis is somewhat of a bluff, although not entirely, because we know the Lord of Light actually has power. Um, but again, so much of the show is like, all right, even if it builds to something, if it's not interesting in the here and now, I don't care what show it is. This isn't even a Game of Thrones problem. This is any show, let's say like Revolution, that has 22 hours to fill. Maybe it's got, <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's got six hours of story, and that's a, that, that's a big maybe. That's an underlined, italicized, bolded maybe on that. Um, and so you have to make the hours of television themselves 
interesting. It should feel like a, an experience unto itself. And they've gotten a little better, both in terms of the big Vista shot last week and Jamie saving the day here, to feel as if they put a period on the end of the sentence that is the episode, not some ellipsis that came out of nowhere. So I like that. At the same point, if you're just checking in on people so we don't forget about them, maybe... And I think at this point, like I said before, there's nothing you can do about it. Game of Thrones is Game of Thrones. This is the way that they've chosen to adapt the source material. I don't think uh, the two guys here, the two executive producers, are going to do it any differently. And honestly, given the ratings and the critical acclaim and the, and the fandom about it, why would they? Just because I'm not a total fan of it. Except last week, they actually somewhat changed their formula. And I think last week's the best episode of Game of Thrones in season three because it always kept coming back to Jon Snow. And it was so much more focused than this episode. Every scene thematically linked. So this episode, like I said, it just felt scattered. Uh, you talk about Arya. Uh, I love how after two weeks of her thinking about escaping, she finally escapes only to two seconds later run into the Hound. I was like, that's convenient. Uh, but Melisandre... Her scene was great, short, but the reason why I liked it is because it gave us some nice insight into her past because we find out that she was a slave, her mom was a slave. So that was cool. But yeah, I, I agree. I feel like we're just checking in with characters. I would like to see them do more of what they did last week where they focus on maybe two characters you know, or King's Landing or Winterfell or Beyond the Wall or whatever, and they keep coming back to those characters. And every now and then they include, you know... A, whoever it is that somehow thematically links to what's going on in the major focus of the episode, if that makes any sense. Whereas in this episode, it was just all over the map. And um, that's why it didn't really work for me. And again, I felt that they were just rehashing everything. Like I'm rehashing my review right now. Can we talk about Sansa who once again, and Kate, guess what? <laughs> guess what? She annoyed the hell out of me. Come on. This Come is her. On. This week is her saying, I have been so foolish. I have been so blind. It's time for me to grow up. How did you? That's what you've been asking for this whole time. Yeah. And, and it ends with her basically convincing herself or letting Marjorie convince her that everything's going to be OK. Like, N she's no, so... she's convincing her that it could be worse. She could be marrying Joffrey. She's still marrying. A, like back in season one. OK, Ryan, I'm sorry. I had this thing about Sansa and every week yep. we talk about it. So okay. back in season one, she's like, oh, everything's going to be great. I'm going to marry Joffrey and he's so beautiful and I'm going to live happily ever after and I'm going to be a princess. And you, we all know how that turned out. And then then she thought her problems were going to be solved because she was going to marry the gay son, the king of flowers. I forget, I forget his name right now. Yes. And, and now she's trying to convince herself that it's going to be OK if she marries uh, Tyrion. I'm like, she's still trying to convince herself that marriage is the solution to her problems. And it frustrates me. Her character is great because I think her character, like the actress is doing a fabulous job. The writing is fantastic. But I'm sorry, she's the, what Andrea is to The Walking Dead, she is to The Game of Thrones for me. She just frustrates me. I was like, help yourself out. Like, do something. <laughs> like, she's, oh my she's God. trying to make peace with a choice that has been taken away from her. And I think this is also a little different because we know and like Tyrion. And we're kind of on Marjorie's side of that conversation going, yeah, you, trust me, you really could be a lot worse off. Uh, on, the, on the scale of things, being married to Tyrion is probably going to be the best option you have right now. Well, the best option if she decides not to help herself and try to maybe escape. I mean, she could have. <laughs> She's, she is boat. not an escaper. She's oh, what is oh. she going to what makes you think that she has the abilities necessary to escape? Uh, Arya had all those lessons with her fencing master and still got immediately caught by two different random groups of people. Why is Sansa somebody who would be wise to try to run away? Well, she's clearly not. She's stupid and she doesn't have the ability. <laughs> so end of story. Oh my god. <laughs> right. Uh, any any thoughts here, Ryan? I think Sophie Turner is very pretty. <laughs> no, I think if she wasn't going to leave during the Black Water with the Hound, she was never going to leave. And that said, I, I had a huge problems. I think by design, you know, the fairy princess dreams that she had in season one were almost unbearable, but in a way that was intentional. Uh, for now, it it's it's okay. Mostly they put her with Marjorie, and that's for it's terrible. It, it's tolerable. I'm just worried about the next time that Shay has to do her hair. If there's any sharp objects in that room, it could end really badly. <laughs> Oh, goodness. So, Kate, do you actually like the character Shay this season? Well, yeah, I, I enjoy Shay. I always have really enjoyed her. I'm just sort of puzzled by her because she's they've really changed her for uh, the show. Changed and so, or haven't really done much? With no, no, they've changed her. 
from the book. In the book, was she, she a does guy it. in the book? No, <laughs> she she has no emotional connection really with Tyrion. She's gotcha. you know she's just his whore. He, she who likes being kept. Who would have gone like, ooh, yay, gold chains? Uh, as opposed to, you've got to be freaking kidding me. You gave me gold chains. Uh, with, like we see this week. Um, so so because of that, that really, I think, that that will have to shift the, where that story is going. And I love that Martin wrote both versions of that character, which I think is yeah. pretty interesting, that he could, he could actually do both, that he didn't try to shift it back to the way he wrote it originally. So mm-hmm. I dig that, so... Man, uh, Sansa should just marry Orel at this point. God, <laughs> she's gonna marry. She's gonna marry. Um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Theon. And they're gonna go have kids, guys. Oh wait, you can't. <laughs> That's the end of that storyline. Lovely. Well, uh, on that note, I guess I'll. The final thing I'll mention is that I I loved the use of the recurrence of the Bear and the Maiden Fair. I liked that they had seeded that earlier so that we would get the title of this episode, but also then the song, know this, you know, have a reference for the song that they're singing. And then as soon as they leave the, the manage to escape, um, you have this, this really strong cello reigns of Castamere that comes back. And I really loved the use of that as well. I was remarking with, with my family when I, we were watching this family time, watching game of Thrones, that, the unseen could get a little awkward there. Um, we, we were remarking on how, how well executed and what well done the, the underscoring is the, all the composition, the music on the show. And that's Remin Jawani. Jawadi is the, the composer and uh, he does a really good job of, of not overplaying moments like the Brienne moment earlier on with Sir Jamie. Um, and, and these other really emotional moments where it'd be easy to go big. And then, when you can go big, when nobody's speaking, when they're just walking away triumphantly, there's this really rich and glorious return of Reigns of Castamere. Um, so I, I think he, the composer's doing excellent work. And uh, I look forward to, w- once this is over, I look forward to what he does next. I think they made best use of his music in the last episode. I thought it was amazing in the last episode. I have a few more things to say. Oh, uh, sorry. King Rob. Okay. So I don't necessarily trust his wife because I've been thinking about this, right? Talisa is her name, right? They are focusing so much on her character and the marriage that there's got to be a catch. There's got to be a payoff. So and I haven't read the book. So this is this is my speculation. I think that she's going to backstab her husband like she she I don't trust her at all. She's a character I'm not really interested in, but I hope there's a payoff because if there's no payoff, then I'm like, ugh. It, that'll be really disappointing. It was the word Valerian that she said that tipped me off because that just, again, felt like something that seems like a key word. Every time you hear that, something's about to twist or change because well, that was one of the big twists about the Daenerys plot earlier. So that kind of got my the hairs on, the, on my arm standing up a little bit. So, But also, just I can't, I, how can I work if you're dressed like that? I'm like, yeah, I know. It seems kind of weird, doesn't it? Also, you haven't won a battle in how long? It feels like. I did, the whole battle stuff has been a bit vague this entire season, but it did for the first time feel that not only was it a poor decision because it strategically left him vulnerable, but also was she put in place for another reason? Yeah. Well, I think she's going to invite him over for dinner so he can meet her mom and they're going to like hold him captive or something. Cause there's like something's up with that girl. And, and I, I agree. Cause every time I hear the word Valerian and it's like a big warning sign goes off. <laughs> it's like, Oh, someone's in trouble. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't really have much else to say. The bear better be invited to the wedding and the dragons and the direwolf. Okay? I don't think they would want the dragons there because that would mean Danny and her army was coming with. Are you kidding? I hope the, I hope the season ends with a dragon eating Sansa. How awkward would that be? Danny gets a plus one. Which dragon does she bring? How does she figure out which of the oh. three of them to do? It's not that could be that could be awkward certainly. Um, Ryan, do you have any other thoughts? No, I think we've covered most of it. This has been great. So, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find me at uh, booptubedude.com. My writing also appears at the AV Club and hitfix.com, as well as my podcast, Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan, the Not Ready for Primetime podcast, and Not Just TV McGee. So, you just own the internet, basically. <laughs> I do, and yet somehow I have a full time job on top of that. Um, I, that boggles the mind. <laughs> but- but thank you for making time for coming on the podcast. Uh, lovely talking with you as ever. Next week, Second Sons. 
um, which is written again by David Benioff and D.P. Weiss. And this was also this one will also have been directed by Michelle McLaren. So there, I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about then. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Ancient and glorious is Yunkai. Our empire was old before dragons stirred in old Valyria. Many an army has broken against our walls. You shall find no easy conquest here, Khaleesi. Good. My insulted need practice. I was told to blood them early. If blood is your desire, blood shall flow. But why? Tis true, you have committed savageries in Astapor. But the Yunkai are a forgiving and generous people. The wise masters of Yunkai have sent a gift for the Silver Queen. There is far more than this awaiting you on the deck of your ship. My ship? Yes, Khaleesi. As I said, we are a generous people. You shall have as many ships as you require. And what do you ask in return? All we ask is that you make use of these ships. Sail them back to Westeros where you belong and leave us to conduct our affairs in peace. I have a gift for you as well. Your life. My life. And the lives of your wise masters. But I also want something in return. You will release every slave in Yunkai. Every man, woman and child shall be given as much food clothing and property as they can carry as payment for their years of servitude. Reject this gift, and I shall show you no mercy. You are mad. We are not Astapor or Karth. We are Yunkai. And we have powerful friends, friends who would take great pleasure in destroying you. Those who survive, we shall enslave once more. Perhaps we'll make a slave of you as well. Me safe conduct. I did. But my dragons made no promises, and you threatened their mother. <laughs>